HBTV. I'm Harry Binswanger, the HB in HBTV. Our topic for this session is Santa Claus and God. But before we get to that, there's some questions left over from last time. As intriguing as my title is for this time, let's quickly go through some questions for last time, from last time. Paul Tierney asks, is privacy a right? If so, what is its root? No, I don't think it is a right. You have a right, a property right, to your land and to control what is uh, interfering with your use of your land or your apartment or that you rent, whatever it is, you have property rights. You have the right to liberty. You have the right to the pursuit of happiness. So certain things that you might even consider nuisances can be taken as violation of rights. But most, if you have property rights, most of the things that you would think of as a violation of privacy rights are resolved. For example, somebody gets a telescope and peers into your living room. Whether or not that's an intrusion, you can get shades and stop that. Okay, somebody gets a fancy apparatus to listen despite you're having the curtains. Well, I would consider that an intrusion. Just hiding your vision, that the sight of you is uh, something that people could expect. But you can't be expected to protect yourself against fancy technology. So that would be an interference with your right to peaceful enjoyment of your own property. But privacy per se, no, I don't think it's a right. Now, there's no objectivist worked out answer to this. Ayn Rand never uh, wrote about that. She wrote in favor of privacy, but not to the right of privacy. And um, I haven't spent much time on it, but no, I don't think it's a right. Philosophical zombie hunter says, Seneca said, the king controls, but the people own. Were property rights historically used to rein in the government? Not if you mean going back to ancient times, like with Seneca. The concept of rights, surprisingly, did not exist until the 1600s. The main author of, developer of the concept of rights is John Locke. But there were precursors, and the first uh, assertion of rights that I know of is by the Levellers, a misnamed group in England. But before 1600, there was no concept of rights. Now, what do I mean by that? The concept of rights is the concept of an area within which you must be free of interference from anyone, including the government. So a right is not a privilege. A right is not a permission. A right is a moral 
absolute that gives you boundaries to what's yours and that no one can cross. One of the levelers said, each man is king in his own domain. And that is the idea that no one can use force on you, physical force, to interfere with you within the sphere of your rights. That did not exist. For instance, the Magna Carta asserted certain freedoms from the king that certain barons had. That is not a right. A right is a moral principle saying it is wrong for anyone at any time to cross this line. So, no, I don't think property rights before 1600 were used to rein in the government, but they sure were after. That's the main purpose of rights is to protect you from government. It's to give a basis for objective law so that the government becomes a servant of people, not their ruler. So, in principle, they can fulfill that role, but first they have to be grasped and formulated. Corey asks, what would be your answer to someone who claimed millionaires, billionaires are not hurt by having a tiny portion of their wealth taken from them, as they are rich after all? Is the issue here violation of principle more than the hurt of the rich? Yes, it is more than the hurt of the rich, but to say, I'm going to hurt you a little, is not to say I'm leaving you free. There's no justification for hurting anyone a little. But the real issue is, as you point out, the violation of principle, because to take anything from anyone is to place something above individual rights. There can't be two supreme principles. There can only be one supreme principle, one principle that governs in the case of a conflict with other principles. Rights is supposed to be the supreme political social principle. That is, nothing is higher than rights. It's not the case that someone's need is higher than rights. It's not the case that the priest's declaration of God's will is higher than rights. Rights are the ultimate standard for judging social policy. That's their role. That's, that's what they're formulated to do. The moment you say, well, but, you know, I'm going to take some of his money, whether it's for your own enjoyment or to help the poor and the suffering, you said there's something above rights. Once you've said that, you've destroyed rights. Then rights become permissions. You have the right so long as, and then substitute here, you know, the the public interest is consistent with it. The party allows it. It doesn't matter what you put in there. Rights are no longer supreme and hence are not rights. A final question is not limited to property rights. Uh, Brian asks, please explain the difference between pragmatism and the sentiment behind 
Ayn Rand's statement, the moral is the practical. Some people mistake these to be synonymous. No, they're completely opposite. The moral is the practical says that the moral is formulated by the standard of what's in principle practical. The way you know what's moral is to identify the purpose of morality, which is to enable you to live and be happy, and the conditions in principle under which that can be achieved. For instance, you have to think, you have to act on your thinking, you have to value the thinking, not the irrationality of other people. We get into the seven objectivist virtues that way. So the moral is the practical looks at man and nature from the highest principled perspective and the most abstract, the most integrative viewpoint and says what kind of being is man and what kind of universe is he living in. Pragmatism is the opposite of that. It's a complete denial of that. It says there is no fixed nature to anything. There's not even any distinction between consciousness and the world, between mind and the object of your mind, between your thinking and what you think about. It's all just experience. And we have to be pragmatic. We have to go by trial and error. There are no absolutes. Principles are a myth. Concepts are not reliable. What's abstract gets more and more away from reality, more unreal. We have to go by trial and error. So the slogan is, truth is what works. That's the pragmatist slogan, which means... Let's see if it works. If it's work, if it works, we'll call it true. But of course, what is it? If you don't have any standard of truth, there's no answer to the question, well, what is it you're testing and what happened? How do we know that it came out the way that somebody says it came out, like the vaccines? Some people believe the vaccines didn't work. Some pe other people recognize that they do work and have statistics. So did it work? Well, the true is what works about what works. It, you, you, it dissolves. So it's just an acid poured upon all cognitive structure and logical processes. It just dissolves everything. It's a retreat to the animal level. I'll try it, and if I feel good afterwards, I'll do it again. That is inconsistent with the requirements of human survival. So those are the questions left over from last time. Let's turn now to Santa Claus and God. The old joke goes, what's the difference between Santa Claus and God? Answer, there is a Santa Claus. No, there isn't, but it's a good joke and it illustrates what we're saying. People approach the issue of God in a different way that they approach any other issue, like is there a Santa Claus? Is there an Easter Bunny? Is, are there atoms? Uh, whether it's scientific or mythological, 
and they they take the uh, approach to their own God that's different from the way they approach anybody else's God. So is there Thor? Is there Zeus? Is there Baal? Oh, no, those are just myths. But Jehovah, the Lord God, and Christ, and all that, well, no, uh, those are real. Now, the background for taking the Santa Claus issue further is that there's no rational argument for the existence of a God, if you can even tell us what you mean by God. A pure spirit who's omnipotent and created the universe out of a wish. Take that as a definition. Give me a definition, and if it's anything like the traditional, I can't call it understanding, but semi-half understanding of God, there's no rational argument for that. The very first philosophy course I taught took up the question of God's existence. Introductory philosophy, 1966. And I used a textbook, it's called Primary Philosophy. I think it's out of print now. The author, Michael Scriven, a philosopher, took up every single argument for God that had ever been, and there, was 30, there were 33 of them. And he showed how each one of them fell apart. Now, a lot of them were pathetic, you know, like a consensu gentium. You know what that is? A consensu gentium. That's Latin for, well... Everybody knows there's a God. So, he, this refuted or dissected all the arguments that had been given, and there was just no question, there's nothing left standing. And then he raised the Santa Claus argument. That's where I got the title for it. Somebody says, well, okay, there's no reason to believe in God, but there's no reason to disbelieve either. So you can't be an atheist. To be an atheist is to have faith that God doesn't exist, just as much as the theist has faith that God does exist. The only sane position is to say maybe exists, maybe not. I don't know. Nobody knows. And that's agnosticism. Scriven wisely pointed out, would you say that about Santa Claus? No one has disproven Santa Claus. Do you need to disprove it not to believe in it? No. And you don't need to disprove anything in order not to believe in it. Somebody makes an assertion. He says, there's another planet waiting to be discovered beyond the furthest planet that we know, and that used to be Pluto, but we don't call it a planet now. 
and it just hasn't been detected yet. Do you need to disprove that in order not to credit it? Somebody says St. John's wort cures baldness. Do you need to disprove it in order not to credit it? Go into the supermarket and look at the shelves of supplements. You'll find maybe 50 different substances that are claimed to have medical value. I, I think some of them probably do. But if you're going to say, well, every statement has credibility until it's disproved, you can't take a step. Because what about the statement, on your next step, the floor will open up beneath you and you'll fall into a bottomless pit? What about the statement, if you would only turn around instead of taking that step, you will see that there's a $100 bill lying on the ground that you should pick up. It might be something good, see, not just something bad. You can manufacture arbitrary evidenceless statements ad nauseum, but you've only got a finite amount of time and a finite amount of effort and a finite number of cognitive resources to apply. So there has to be a policy. And the policy can't be, say maybe, about anything until it's refuted. For one thing, you're never able to refute anything on that basis. Because suppose somebody says, well, I can refute this maybe by simple arithmetic. You know, maybe 8 times 8 is 90. No, I can, I can prove it. Well, maybe you made a mistake. I could make a mistake. It's too simple. Maybe you made a mistake in thinking it was simple. Maybe you're dreaming all of this. Maybe there's some future scientific advance that will show us that 8 times 11 is 90 in a certain new situation. You can't refute something if the, your opponent is allowed to put forward anything and it stands until you refute it. There's a principle of logic, the burden of proof is on the person who makes the assertion. The burden of proof is on the person who claims to know something. Now to say maybe is to make a positive claim. It's to say it may be. In order to make, to assert a possibility, you have to have some evidence. In the absence of any evidence, is just claimed, you know, well, maybe you're dreaming. Maybe you've made a mistake. Maybe in the future we'll discover all this is wrong. What's your evidence? Well, you refute me. And my evidence is you haven't refuted me. If that's allowed to stand, then you can't refute anything, and you can't know anything, and you can't move. You can't take any action. It destroys everything. So agnosticism is not a third position. The theist 
says, I believe there is a God on faith. And I'm the evidence, I just wish it were true, and I make myself think it's true because I like the idea. He's not that open, but that's what it comes to. The theist says, since there's no evidence for it, I don't accept it. I don't believe it at all. The agnostic says, well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't, I don't know. That's not a different position. You've got to either say, I do believe or I don't believe. Do you believe in the possibility? If so, where's your evidence? What would evidence be for the possibility? Well, for instance, they just discovered a um, new outbreak of COVID in China. So maybe that's going to come here and maybe the booster vaccines and so forth will make it, a, uh, having worn off over the period since most people got them, maybe there'll be a real problem in the U.S. There's some reason to worry about that. Maybe the Soviet, uh, <laughs> they're not Soviets anymore, maybe the Russians will be bogged down in Ukraine and will not take key for a whole month. Well, there's some reason it's going slower than anticipated by in many quarters, including by Putin. It's not a certainty, but yeah, maybe. Maybe it will rain tomorrow. Yeah. I can see some evidence. I see clouds in the sky. Uh, it does rain in March in Florida. So there are certainly many things about which you say, well, I'm not certain about this, but I'm not a, an atheist, so to speak, on rain tomorrow. <clears throat> it's not the same as agnosticism. I'm saying I have real evidence, but not a lot. And there's some evidence on the other side, too. So there are things that are certain where all the evidence is conclusively on one side, and it's tr proven beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what certain means. Then there's things where the evidence is mixed, and you can say, well, it's possible, but maybe not. And then there are things for which is no evidence, and those are not possible. <coughs> Excuse me. Santa Claus does not have to be refuted in order for you to dismiss the idea of Santa Claus, except as a myth, God does not have to be refuted for you to dismiss the idea of God while recognizing that there's the myth. And no statement advanced without rational support can be taken as true, or as likely true, or even as possibly true. The moral here is maybe is not an epistemological free lunch. People think, well, you can always say maybe, and there's, there's no cost to that. 
there are no requirements. But no, if you follow policy saying maybe to anything, there are a million things that qualify as maybe by the standard of why not. So, again, the theist claims that something exists. The atheist doesn't have to claim that something doesn't exist. Although, once you get into God, you can make that claim when you start looking at it. But all he says is, I dismiss it. I don't pay any attention to it. I don't accept it as true. I don't accept it as possibly true. I just... Reject it, dismiss it. I have nothing to do with God. Nothing in my life is influenced by the fact that some people, many, many people over history and even today, hold this superstition. So uh, do we have any questions or should I continue to rhapsodize on the theme we have we have one question from dave goodman uh, okay. suppose technology is invented in the future that can control the weather i want it 72 degrees and sunny year round. oh yeah we, we i covered that last time oh okay sorry and they, then, that that was a good example for this time but so let, let me read that because it's in the list from last time suppose technology is invented in the future that control the can control the weather. Now, is that possible? Barely. We know that technology gives greater and greater power. The weather is just air and moisture in motion. It's reasonable to entertain the hypothesis that some degree of control will be achievable in the future. So that is not an arbitrary assertion. If you set it in 800 AD, maybe sometime in the future, where they didn't have the concept technology or science, there was no such concept in 800 AD in Europe. Somebody says, maybe in the future people will be able to control the weather. That would have been crazy. That would have been worse than Santa Claus. But, I'll finish and then I'll come back to that uh, point. Suppose technology is invented in the future that can control the weather. I want it 72 degrees and sunny year-round. My neighbors want snow and seasonal changes. How would, you prop, how would you apply property rights to this scenario? I don't know. That's something that will have to be worked out once we know more about what it means to control the weather, how it's done, and how rights can be extended to prevent that from doing damage to anybody's existing rights. So the answer is you cannot use air in any way that violates the rights of people who are also already using that air. That's the principle of first use. But it's interesting because if you contrast the man in 800 AD 
with us today, the same statement, almost the same. Let's change it. Man will someday be able to control the weather. So I didn't use the term invent or technology. People will someday be able to control the weather. I would say that's not arbitrary now. That, that is a possibility. But in 800 AD, it was arbitrary. It should have been dismissed. The cognitive content of a claim depends upon the mind of the person who uses it. So, Nostradamus, I think lived in the 1600s, you know, the great predictor, says, in the future, Microsoft stock will be a good buy on the New York Stock Exchange. That would be meaningless. That would be equivalent to saying it won't be a good buy or they're, they're uh, a good buy on uh, the buba buba. He had no basis, and he didn't say that obviously, to use such a term as Microsoft, stock exchange, um, and it's you know, projecting backwards in an irrational way to put the content of your brain into the language and minds of the people in an earlier stage of knowledge. So the content of a, a mind depends upon its means of knowing. How did that content get in? And we have two means of knowing. Perceiving, that is with your senses, seeing, smelling, hearing, tasting, touching, and your bodily senses of, you know, joint and muscle. Perception, that is, and logical inference from perception. If neither one of those lead to understanding the term Microsoft, then there's no possibility of having the term Microsoft. And if a parent squawks Microsoft, it doesn't know what that means. And if a man in 1600 says Microsoft, that those phonemes were to come out of Nostradamus's mouth, which they didn't, of course, it would have been gibberish in his context of knowledge. So the whole basis of all this is that there is a means of knowing. Knowledge is an achievement. It's a mental product fashioned from materials. If you don't have the materials and you don't have the equipment to fashion it in a certain way, you can't have the product. Um, I think that's enough on that. It's actually 5.30, so let me just underline the meaning of why I called it God and Santa Claus. The burden of proof is on the person who makes the cognitive claim. He says, reality is this way that I'm telling you now. 
if he can't give any reasons for it, if he can't tell you how to make the product that is that that claim represents, it's just babble. It's as if a parrot squawked it. So here's another epigram to hold it. A stopped clock is not right twice a day. A stopped clock is never right because it doesn't indicate time if it's stopped. The position of its hands once it's stopped has no measuring significance. A mind that lacks the means of knowledge cannot make statements that are different from Babel. And with that browsing thought, I leave you until next week. Thank you for attending. See you next week.